We are continuing uh, together our journey through uh, the book of 2 Peter. Uh, as a, a church, we, uh, we work our way through whole books of, uh, of Scripture. Um, and so we are in this, uh, this is a letter in the New Testament that we are, are working through, written by Peter, who was a follower of uh, Jesus. Uh, not, just, uh, not just any follower. Uh, Peter was one of those uh, particularly and uniquely uh, along with uh, uh, 12 or so others who are authorized uh, by Jesus to communicate authoritatively uh, what was true about Christ, um, what was uh, accurate about his person and his work. And so we are working our way through uh, this uh, book of the, uh, the New Testament together. Uh, this morning we're just going to look at a couple of verses, uh, verses 3 and 4, um, but before we hop uh, into that, I wanted to tell you about uh, an experience I had in the 11th grade. Um, uh, Miss Lomax was my biology teacher. And I'd, I'd had her, this is the second time I'd had her for biology. I had her for biology in, in ninth grade and then picked her back up again for AP biology in 11th grade. And uh, so by this time, oh, I, I knew how to do well in Miss Lomax's class. I knew that her tests always came from her notes. And so I wasn't really that interested in learning. I was interested in getting good grades, which was to my, my detriment, ultimately, in the long run. And so I just would memorize Ms. Lomax's notes, and then I'd come in and take the test, and I could knock them out. I had an A average in her, te- in her class going into this, uh, this exam. And so we sat down and took the exam, turned it in. I felt good about it, just like normal, uh, and came in the following uh, meeting time for class, and she starts handing the exams out, back out. And she looked at me, and she always called me Schubert. She goes, Schubert, what happened? What happened? Now look at my test. I have an F. Not just barely an F. Like, we're talking solidly in F, like in the teens. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I look at one of my, one of my best friends to this day, Mark, he's sitting next to me, and he has a hundred. I'm like, what in the world? And uh, we start going through, uh, we, we cover and, and are reviewing the, the answers, and I start looking, and I look at my test, and I look back and, and, and at, at, her, at her notes. I look in the book, and I'm like, well, this question's right. I got this right. I put the right answer down. And we kept going through, and, and that would happen again and again. And finally, I raised my hand. I was like, Miss Lomax, I think something's wrong. She's like, hold on. So she gathers all of the exams up and starts looking at them. You know what had happened? Is that when she graded the exams, she used the wrong key. Uh, This portion of the exam was uh, by Scantron. I don't know if that even still exists, but it was Scantron. And the way you, uh, you establish what the key is, is you put the key in first, and the machine figures out what to grade everything else off of based off of that key. And then all the other exams that are filtered through uh, get graded that way. Well, she had accidentally put Mark's test in <laughs> as the key. And you see, that's the, pr- that's the problem. It's when you, when you go off of something that isn't the right key, the consequence that comes about from that is Mark falsely thought that he had done incredibly well on the test. And others of us who had, who actually studied, 
Uh, uh, Mark may listen to this. He's, he's a great guy. Uh, <laughs> I did get his permission to share this before, uh, before we uh, uh, shared it with you. Uh, but others of us were being told you're wrong. Why? Because the wrong key was being consulted. Peter is writing to a group of churches who are being assaulted internally by those who are proclaiming a wrong key. They are are saying that the key to life now and the key to the life in the future, the life to come, isn't oriented around the person and work of Jesus and how he spoke and what he taught about himself. It's about something different. And Peter is right into these churches to point them so that they would know and understand what the true key is. If you're visiting with us, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you might wonder why such uh, an emphasis, why care so much about uh, about what's right or wrong here. Isn't you may. You may uh, think that maybe truth is, is relative. Uh, you know, we can uh, determine our own truth, and it may be right for you, and, and who are we to say that these other people who are coming into the context of the, of the church, that their, their truth isn't truth for them. From the worldview of the scriptures and what Jesus taught, that's uh, an accurate worldview. There is truth, and we know what truth is that comes from our God and from Jesus. This is true truth. And it is true for everyone. That is why it is so important. Because Jesus is the key for all of us. And if we are not uh, going to him for the key to life now and the key to life to come, we will be very, very disappointed when he returns, as we've already heard from our passages this morning. So let's look at our uh, our passage together, from verses three and four, uh, the a lot of the grammar in here and the, the things that Peter's referring to is uh, was complicated in this section. So I figured we'd just focus on these two verses, maybe to make it a little easier for us to work through. And so what we were going to see is that Jesus is the key to life now, and Jesus is the key to life to come. Uh, so let's look together in the Word of God, beginning in verses three. In uh, in Second uh, Peter uh, chapter one, if you're following along in one of the, bi- the black Bibles there in your pew, that's the first time I've been able to say that here. Uh, that'll be on page one thousand eighteen. So hear the word of the Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory. And excellence, by which he has granted to us his very his his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's pray. God, we know there are a lot of competing. Uh, explanations and understandings uh, about your word, uh, about uh, the person and work of Jesus. Uh, This morning, we we pray that that what you would communicate and show us is is what is true. 
Who is Jesus, really? What difference does it make for us? We pray that you would accurately and rightly reveal yourself to us this morning, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So first, seeing that Jesus is the key to life now. Notice what he says there in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Everything that pertains to life is being granted, is being provided. By, by whom? Who is doing this granting, this provision? Well, notice what he says. His his divine power, beginning in verse 3. Well, who is the his? Well, in, in Greek, when uh, the, the his is listed there, what, you're, what you do to determine who it's referring to is look to who is closest in context. Well, who is closest in context? Well, look who's right at the end of verse 2. Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the key to life now, Peter says, because Jesus is the one who grants us all things that pertain to life. Everything. Our, our, our breath, our seeing, the beat of our heart, uh, the, 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 the fact that, that our skin keeps uh, infection and dirt out of all of the important stuff that's working in this general area. The fact that we can see and move and hear and think and communicate. But not just that. We've seen in, in Scripture as we think about life, we're not talking about just generally living life, but experiencing life in its fullness, in its wholeness. Life as God intended and created for humans to live and participate in His world. That ability... That power comes from Jesus. Do you want to experience life as God intended it? Life in its fullness and its wholeness and its completeness, it only comes from Christ, Peter says. He is the key. But notice also what he says. Also, every, not just everything you need for life, but everything you need to please God comes from Jesus. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Living a life that reflects the goodness and the glory of our God, that is living in conformity to His revealed will, His laws, His good rules in Scripture, that please Him. Uh, in fact, from the biblical perspective, life in its fullness is only experienced when you are living it in a godly way. And He says here, that everything for living life and everything to, in order to please God comes from Jesus. You may think, well, how in the world is that possible? How could any man, how could a mere man give us all of this? Everything we need for life? Everything we need for godliness? Well, what Peter and the rest of scriptures communicate is that Jesus being man is only a part of the truth. Notice what Peter says. What kind of power is this? What is his perspective on the person of Jesus, this key? His divine 
power. Jesus is fully man, yes, but he is also very fully God. Uh, you see, uh, Jesus didn't become God. The, the orientation and the movement of Scripture is always God coming to man. Uh, one of my professors used to summarize the plot line of Scripture in this way. He would draw a line on the board. Creator, creation, distinction, and then arrow down. It says this summarizes in pictorial form the story of Scripture. God coming to man. God creating and entering. God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took on flesh. He became a human. That is why we can say that Jesus has divine power. He is God. This is important for us to understand if we're going to approach and understand Jesus as being the key to life. No mere man could do this. It is necessary that he be divine. But notice also what Peter says, that, that, that this granting of everything that's needed for life, this granting of everything that is needed for godliness, of pleasing God, doesn't just come to everybody in general. Notice what he says. He grants us everything that pertains to life and godliness. How do we gain this benefit? Through the knowledge of him. What does he mean, knowledge of him? Just knowing facts about Jesus? If I can pass some Bible trivia, Bible trivial pursuit, or answer my questions right on a test, does that mean now I have this power? The kids and Lindsay and I were having a, a conversation. Um, this kind of comes up from time to time on who we know that's famous, or who do we know that knows somebody who's famous, or who do we know that knows somebody who knows somebody that's famous. And really what it comes down to is we, we don't really know any famous people. The closest it, it really came to knowing somebody who's like really famous uh, was one of Lindsay's friends from St. Louis. Her sister was in a, uh, a wreck uh, in, uh, or an, an accident in, uh, in California. She was hit by a car and had severe brain damage, and she was in the, the hospital. Um, and, and word got out that she was a big Taylor Swift fan. And so they were able to contact Taylor Swift, and as Taylor Swift found out about this, Taylor Swift visited her in the hospital and brought her some gifts and took pictures with her. Now, uh, we as our family, we know some things about Taylor Swift. We know some of her songs, but we don't know Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift doesn't even have an, uh, any clue who the Schuberts of Elizabeth City are. But even this, our friend's sister who met Taylor Swift could we really say she knows Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift might have known her name that day she visited. Maybe she still remembers it. They don't converse and interact and talk. They don't really know her like her close friends know her. You were ask me or I would ask you, do you know Taylor Swift? You would have to say no, unless you're keeping something from me. <laughs> no, I don't know her. You see, there's a, a certain type of knowledge that communicates a deep and close relationship of love, of trust, of connection. And the knowledge that Peter is talking about here is not just mental knowledge alone about Jesus, but it is knowing him in a personal way, in the way that the, the scriptures talk about in, in, a, in a covenant 
relationship established and entered into by our God? Do you want all things that pertain to wholeness of life and pleasing God? The only way to experience that great gift and that blessing is coming to knowledge, knowing Christ personally. And that can only happen as he deals with our sin and what has separated us from our God. As he continues to go on and to explain. Knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. The glory of Jesus, his fame, his renown, his magnificence because of who he is as the divine one who entered into our world, uh, demonstrating his power and his glory, but also his excellence. Here it's talking about his, his great works that he has accomplished. The way that we have come to know our God, the way that we experience all things that lead to wholeness and fullness of life and of Uh, of experiencing a life that pleases God is through the work of Jesus. The excellent things that he has done on behalf of his people. He has called us to him. He has called us to what he has done. We only come to know Christ through his great work on our behalf. Nothing that we have done. It is only through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, his suffering on behalf of sinners, these great, excellent works that Peter, as an eyewitness, that the scriptures as historical, uh, accurate documents communicate and tell us that Jesus demonstrated and proclaims who he is through his great works. And Peter now is proclaiming and teaching that in the face of opposition that calls those truths into question. Peter says that is where these, this great benefit comes in knowing Christ. Now that has implications for us. It means that according to what Jesus teaches, and he proclaims the key, that if you are seeking anyone or anything to bring you fullness of life, to bring you into a place where you are pleasing to God, and it's anything and anyone other than Jesus, then you are going after the wrong key. You may think presently that I'm experiencing a full life. You may think, based on what others have told you, or teaching that you're getting, or things that you're thinking, you may feel comfortable with where you are now. My friend Mark felt really comfortable for about five minutes in Miss Lomax's class until we realized what the true key was. The true key is Jesus. And if you're not seeking the true key, you are deceived. For those who would, you would call yourselves a follower of Christ, are you seeking fullness of life and, and a life that would be pleasing to God through Jesus and something else? Peter would say, you too are mistaken. Because what did he tell us? Jesus has granted us all things. If you're not getting it from Jesus to experience fullness of life here and to live a life that's pleasing to God, you don't need it. You're going to be disappointed. It will not fulfill you. It is only Christ from where those things come. 
I, I think a, a side note of reflecting on this is there may be some of you here who uh, maybe in the past you would have called yourself a follower uh, of Jesus, but due to uh, pain and, um, uh, and heartache that you've experienced from, uh, from, other, from Christians uh, through them living a life that you would say there, there is no way that that is a life that is pleasing to God. And they have done and said things uh, that you have caused you to question whether Jesus is even worth following or not if his people are going to live like that. Notice what Peter says here. That Jesus does grant his people everything we need to live life and to live a godly life. So if we as Christians aren't living the way that we should and bring shame upon Christ, that's not his fault. Don't reject Jesus because of how we lived. We as Christians need to repent for the ways that we have lived in a way that would bring uh, a dishonor to Jesus. But please, if you've ventured back in church here for the first time, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you would come and be with us. It's a brave step. But please hear and know this. If we or any other Christian has lived in a way that is not honoring Christ and has brought pain to you, that is our responsibility and our fault. And that is not Jesus, because he has given us all things. And as his people, we need to accept and move forward to the privileges that he has granted us in himself. But also, notice, Jesus is the key to life now, but Peter also tells us Jesus is the key to the life to come. Look in verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Uh, this language is going to come up, these, uh, this, uh, this uh, language of promises throughout the, the letter that Peter's writing. And here he's talking about these promises that Jesus is giving uh, that these false teachers are calling into question. Calling into question the reality and the validity that although Jesus promised that he will return and come again, they're saying, it's taking too long. He's not going to come. Although Jesus promised and said that when he does return, he will judge wickedness and evil and all those who remain in rebellion to him, these false teachers are proclaiming another key and saying, Jesus wasn't right about that. Look at the delay. Look at how uh, evil and wickedness is, is abounding. You can live however you want. Jesus promised and said that when he does come and return, he is going to renew and restore all things that sin has affected. And these false teachers are calling that into question as well. And Peter will uh, uh, kind of flesh that out later. But here, Peter is saying that he has given us these very great and precious promises. And notice what Peter sa- where Peter says these precious promises come from. Look back at the, the end of verse 3 and how it's connected to verse 4. He's called us to his own glory and excellence, by which, by his glory and excellence, he has granted us these very great and precious promises. How can we be sure that Jesus will fulfill these promises? That he is truly the key to life to come because of his glory and excellence. What he has demonstrated about himself while he was here. That he lived a perfect life. That through his, the signs that he performed, 
and the miracles that he did and the things that he taught, the people that he brought back from death, the demons that he cast out, the sick that he healed, the fact that he would say, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die, not hard to do in Rome, but this was hard to do, and I'm going to come back to life on the third day. And he did it. Historically accurate, verifiable documents in the New Testament testify from eyewitness accounts that Jesus rose from the dead and he was who he said he was. And if he was who he said he is, then if his promises came true then, then why do we have any reason to doubt that by his great glory and his excellence, his mighty works on behalf of his people, his excellent accomplishments, that he will not fulfill every single one of his good and precious promises that are going to come. That causes us to ask the question, how, how glorious is Jesus? How excellent are these promises? What will he be able to accomplish for his people? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Champlain apartments that collapsed in Florida. And at the, the beginning, they were, it was a rescue operation, trying to see who could they save from the collapse. After a while, it became clear that no one else could be saved, and it became a recovery operation. But then due to uh, an incoming storm and the danger that it, it, it posed to everybody else, the remaining structure had to be completely demolished and destroyed and brought to the ground because there was nothing that they could do to, to salvage it. It posed a danger to everyone else. They did great and um, uh, heroic work, the people there who were, who were saving and who were still recovering bodies. But what if someone had come up and said, you don't need to tear it down. I can restore it. I can fix this building that you think is in danger in everyone around. Not only can I fix the part that's still standing, all of this rubble, I will restore and repair it too. Not just of what it was before, but even better than it was before. Not just the structure, but you see those dishes that are broken there? And those picture frames in your family that is ripped and torn to shreds? And your clothes that are dirty in this debris? I will fix and repair those too. Oh, and the broken lives, the dead who are still there, I'll bring them back to life. The tears I'll take away, the shame, the pain, the suffering. That is a glorious and excellent person. That is what Peter is saying. That is who our Christ is. That is who Jesus is. That is how glorious and excellent his work is and his promises are. Notice how he tells us that. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, these very great and precious promises, that you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, what does that mean? Is he saying that we're going to become gods? No. Uh, scripture's uh, clear about that in other places, but if we want to learn how to interpret Scripture, we uh, interpret Scripture by Scripture. And notice, Peter goes on to explain what he means by becoming partakers of the divine nature. We aren't becoming gods. Notice what he says. You may become partakers of the divine nature. What do you mean by that, Peter? Well, this is what I mean. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
See, the way Scripture talks, when God initially created humans, Adam and Eve, it describes us as being made in the image of God. We, We reflected God as a mirror without any cracks or any kind of smoke or, or fog or dinginess on it. God was accurately and rightly reflected by humanity in the world. But due to our sin, we shattered that mirror. And we, we reflect God poorly now. We still reflect Him. We're still created in the image of God, but it's been marred and affected by our sin. It's been corrupted Why does Peter say, why is that image corrupted? Because of our sinful desires. You see, sin, what makes a mess of our lives in this world, comes from within. We commit sins because we're sinners. We don't become sinners because we commit sins. Jesus says it's what's the inside of us that makes us defiled and makes us dirty. And here, Peter is saying... That what Jesus is offering is a restoration of who we were created to be in the beginning. But a restoration that is even greater than it was before. All of the corruption that has occurred due to our sin and our rebellion that has affected our reflecting God is going to be renewed and restored in Jesus. The penalty of sin, its power over us, and ultimately its presence will be removed through the glorious and excellent works of Jesus on behalf of his people. And we'll ultimately see, Peter will get to this later, that it's not just going to be his work in us as God's people. It'll also be, Peter will go on to say, the the great uh, Champlain uh, uh, collapse of all time is how we've ruined this world through our sin. And Jesus is going to renew and restore it all. He's not going to blow it up and make something completely new. He will renew and restore even better than it was before this world that God has created. That is the glorious and excellent promises and work that Jesus is offering to his people. It's only through his work, his life, his death, his resurrection that we can be restored to our proper functioning, to a relationship with our God so that we can even begin to reflect the glories and excellencies of our God. And Jesus, in being the perfect man who entered, uh, what, what God is doing, he's not just restoring us back to the image of Adam, but renewing us in the image of Christ, the perfect and better man. Do you know this Jesus that Peter is proclaiming? Do you know the key? The key to the life to come is only found in Christ and nothing else. If you don't embrace and hope and know Jesus, then it isn't restoration, but it's justice and retribution that you will experience from our God. Jesus is the only key. And here, Peter proclaims and offers hope to God's people and to those who are desperate and hoping and longing for life and restoration. Look to Christ, he says. Come to Jesus, Peter says. That is the invitation this morning. To find the key to life now, and the key to life to come is only found in Jesus. Will you come to him? Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for the truth of the gospel. 
We thank you that Jesus does rule and reign now, that he is not dead, that he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, that these promises that you have given us are sure and true and that they are coming, uh, you are coming again. Please uh, strengthen our faith to hope and rest in you until you come. In Christ's name, amen.